walking without skin, managing adversity with vulnerability. As you can see, I was literally without skin. When I woke up, I started to realize what I had to recover from physically. But as I did that, another bacteria invaded my mind, personal bacteria. Where can I find some protection? You are listening to Walking Without Skin, the show where we encourage our guests to be vulnerable, to share their voices with authenticity, to tell their stories from the heart. We will talk about hope and recovery, about overcoming loss, changes, challenges, and adversities. We will walk without skin. And here is your host, Lois Wagner. Hi, I am Lois, your friend for forgiveness and the creator of Walking Without Skin. I have a book with the same title, Walking Without Skin. And today I have a fascinating guest, Chris Gordon from Minnesota. Hi, Chris. Hi, Lois. How are you today? Absolutely on top of the world. And how are you? I, I'm on the other side of the world, but I am as well am on top of it. So I'm glad we're conquering the world together on opposite ends. Fabulous. So I'm going to read what Chris says about himself. He's a faithful husband, father of three, online middle school special education teacher, professional speaker, podcast host, and I've been a guest on his podcast, co-author, runner, recommended black belt in taekwondo, and pop culture geek. He's also a survivor of necrotizing fasciitis, which is a flesh-eating bacteria. He uses his story and message to inspire high school students and other young adults to adopt the attitude of gratitude, which he calls TAG, to overcome their personal bacteria to increase their positivity and gratitude and to make the world around them a better place. Well, that is fantastic that you've taken this adversity and turned it into a positivity. But before we get into your story, I'd like to know what you understand by the term walking without skin. To me, that is a reality. And when you get into my story, you understand why. But for me, it's being bare. It's being vulnerable and allowing people to see you, who you are, despite the 
obvious chances of injury to yourself. Great. So how does that relate to your story? Well, on March 18th, 2015, I was helping Becky and the kids get ready for their day of school and daycare. Becky, like me, is a teacher, but she was teaching at the public high school here in town. And Josh was going to kindergarten. Josh is our older son. Our younger kids, Seth and Anna, were two years old at the time. They're twins. And they were going to daycare. So I was helping Becky by flying Seth, the younger son, to the van by going back and forth to the detached garage where the van was. Well, I veered too far to the right, scratched the back of my right hand on the garage wall. It wasn't bleeding, so I, I thought, tis but a scratch. I've had those before. So I put him in the car seat. I kissed them all goodbye. And as they went on their way, I went on my way back to the house to wash off my superficial wound and start my day of online teaching. Three days later, I wake up with a lacrosse ball-sized bump on my right elbow. I proceed to go to the urgent care clinic. The doctor there said that it could have been bursitis, which is an inflammation of the bursa sac in your joints. And I should keep an eye on it. So I went home and I kept an eye on it. I kept an eye on it, Lois, as that bump grew and grew and grew until my right arm was three times the size of my left. I look like the Incredible Hulk in mid-transformation. After finding a babysitter, Becky took me to the emergency room where they quickly admitted me because, hello, giant right arm. But as they were taking my vitals, they found out something else was going on. I had gone septic. And for those who don't know, sepsis is a reaction that the body has when a foreign agent is, is introduced. And one of the events that could happen during sepsis is a chemical could be pumped into the bloodstream to ward off foreign said foreign object. Funny thing though, that alone could kill you. So I had poison coursing through my veins and a ginormous right arm. Not the craziest Saturday night I ever experienced, but it was right up there. Obviously they kept me overnight for observation. And in the morning, that attending doctor came up to my bed and said something I will never forget. She said, Mr. Gordon, this is beyond us. We can do nothing more for you here. Where do you want to go? <sighs> After thinking about it for about a millisecond, I said, Mayo, which is short for the Mayo Clinic. You may have heard of it before. Yeah. It's world-renowned. It's like the Beyonce or the share of hospitals. You say Mayo, people know what you're talking about. But beyond that, Bill and Dee, Becky's parents, who I also call mom and dad because they're awesome, they lived in Rochester. And in fact, at, for a time, Bill was the chaplain for Mayo Clinic. So I knew that Becky, the kids, and Max, the dog, would have a place to stay for the, I was sure, two or three days this would take to resolve itself. So they fly me from New Ulm, Minnesota to Rochester, Minnesota, which is about 160 kilometers. And it's there that they diagnosed me with necrotizing fasciitis. 
also known as flesh-eating bacteria. They, once they know what they're dealing with, they quickly prepare for surgery and they essentially knock me out for five days. I'm in a five-day coma. During that time, they start by removing the infected skin, which began at the back of my right hand where that scratch had occurred, all the way up my arm, past my shoulder, to the base of my neck, down through my chest, around my rib cage, and up through my back. All that infected tissue and skin was removed. So I was definitely, well, I wasn't walking without skin, but I was, I was without skin. Well, I've got the cold shivers when you tell that story. Yes, I, I, I relate it to being filleted like a fish because it is, that's exactly what happened. And they also had to debreed all that material, all that possibly infected material, because if one tiny bit of bacteria remained, the whole process would start over again. So they cleared out my infected area, but then they saw, Lois, that I had the infection go so deep into my right arm that they were certain they would have to amputate. It was not a question. It wasn't even a, a likelihood to them. My arm was coming off, no questions asked. They even told Becky this. However, when they started that second surgery, the occupational therapist in attendance saw that it still had hand function. So what they elected to do is they removed a flap of skin and I'm gonna get the measurements wrong. I apologize, I'm gonna try though. 40 centimeters by 10 centimeters, roughly around that size. That flap of skin, they took a giant flap of skin from my left thigh and placed it on my right hand and forearm. And since this is my thigh on my hand, I call this my thand, <laughs> copyright pending. However, like the story, when you give a mouse a cookie, there's always something else going on. So they took the flap of skin from my arm, my hand, my leg, put it on my arm, but now I have a gaping hole in my leg that they can't close naturally. So they remove my vastus lateralis from my left thigh. The vastus lateralis is your outermost quadricep muscle. So they took out an entire muscle out of my leg and then installed a shoestring contraption that was connected to two knobs, one on either side of my leg, either side of the wound, more appropriately. And slowly, they would tighten the, wound, tighten the knobs over time to close that wound. However, again, remember, I have all this exposed tissue on the upper right side of my body, so they need to cover that up. So what they do is they, they take a skin graft harvester, or as I like to call it, a cheese slicer on steroids, and run that up and down my back and my thighs. So they can get skin graft tissue to put on those formerly infected areas. And they actually put a, a material called Integra over the formerly infected area and then put the skin grafts on top of that. And, and so I would have a stronger base and actually did a, did a masterful job because I, I only needed one opportunity to put the skin grafts on. Usually they say 
It takes sometimes two or three times, depending on the person, but mine only took once. I'm very thankful for that. So as you can see, I was literally without skin. That is such a story. And just from one small little insignificant scratch, what are the chances of that happening? For a marathon runner, very low. I was the first person who, with my, my level of fitness, that they ever encountered catching NF. People who are more inclined to catch NF are people or contracted are people who have you know, diabetes, other health issues. There, it has to be usually a predisposition to health-related issues to cause this to happen. But me, it was, it was very much a fluke. Like I said, I, I scratched my hand that had happened a hundred times before with no such repercussions. How common is this? It's last time I looked at the CDC website, it was between 700 and 1200 cases annually in the United States. I don't know worldwide, but that's what I saw. So if you think of that seven, you know, if you, if you average that out to 950 cases out of 313 million people in the United States. It's still extremely rare. So, well, what a story. Uh, I, I just, I actually, when you were telling me, I was getting these shivers, these horror shivers. Uh, it's amazing. And I'm so pleased that you've recovered. And not only have you recovered, you're now going after your black belt. Tell us about that and, your, and tell us about your geekiness. Well, I, I definitely will do that, Lois, but I want to also address something that I, some other bacteria I had to deal with. When I woke up, I started to realize what I had to recover from physically. But as I did that, another bacteria invaded my mind, personal bacteria, negative thoughts that accompany challenging or life-threatening events. For me, I was thinking about what was I going to look like when I fully recovered, if I fully recovered? What was I going to be able to do physically? Doctors at one point said that I should work towards feeding myself with my right arm. That was their goal for me, was being able to feed myself with my right arm. What was my, my mindset going to be like? How were my relationships, my relationships going to be with Becky, the kids, other family members, other friends, colleagues, how are we going to deal with this financially? Because in the United States, we don't have universal health care. So it was a huge question because my medical bill was seven figures. It was around a million dollars. And I had run out of sick days well into my hospitalization. So these negative thoughts, that personal bacteria were starting to invade my mind. However, they didn't have time to permeate because Becky, during one of her daily visits, told me about how our various communities were stepping up to help us. For example, our neighbors here in New Ulm, they were shoveling our driveways, snow blowing our walkways and our driveway because it was Yes, it started to be spring around that time, but it was still, it's spring in Minnesota, which is basically the second round of winter. Our friends in Rochester, because we, we also had friends in Rochester, and I had 
colleagues from my online school who live in the Rochester area were stopping by Bill and Dee's house, dropping off food and actually clothing and toys for the kids because they didn't stay at Bill and Dee's for two or three days. They were there for two weeks and they had barely anything of their own. So we had, I had colleagues and friends stopping by to play with the kids and give them toys. My brother who lived in Michigan, which is the state that's shaped like a mitten, as soon as Becky told him what I was dealing with early in my hospitalization, he found the first flight from Michigan to Minnesota and found his way down to Rochester to help Becky out, to assist with the kids, even to be there with Becky during the darkest times of my coma. At one point, I had a 30% chance of survival. And he also bought me an iPad, which will also play into my recovery a little bit in a little bit here. A friend of Becky's from secondary school started a GoFundMe account, which in America is America, you know, how Americans pay for healthcare sometimes, which is both a joke and sad. But anyway, that GoFundMe account raised so much money, it helped offset my lost wages from my hospitalization because I was gone for an entire quarter of school. When Becky was telling me all these things, that personal bacteria washed away and was replaced by what I now call, and you said it before, the attitude of gratitude or tag. And when I was starting to feel tag come over me, this great amount of gratitude and love, I asked myself three questions. The first question was, what good things do I have in my life? When I started thinking about that, the big areas come into mind, our faith, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, you know, our, or our job, you know, our our house, all those big things. But then I thought about what about those small things that we sometimes overlook, those seemingly insignificant areas of our lives that actually bring us that daily dose of joy or make our lives easier. So remember, my, I mentioned that Jeff bought me an iPad. Well, I downloaded Netflix and I started binge watching the first season of Daredevil, the Marvel Netflix show that actually dropped the, during the time I was in the hospital. So I love binge watching that show while I myself was recovering. And then I thought about how I appreciated that the sun never shined in my eyes while I was bedridden. And I know that sounds very random, but when you are bedridden and you can't move out of that spot for weeks on end, and you don't have to ask another person for one more thing, it's actually a godsend. And then I thought about the hospital pizza. Lois, what is your relationship with hospital food? Awful, dreadful stuff. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. It's, it's like eating cardboard. Well, I have to tell you, the hospital pizza at St. Mary's was phenomenal. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was because I hadn't had pizza in a month at that point. But it just hit the spot every time I had it. And to this day, I'm so raving about it. That's how good I remember it being. And to this day, I still do this. I think about door hinges. 
no one thinks about door hinges. They're just there. But when you have a door hinge break on you and you can't get, you can't open or close a door and say you can't open the door to the bathroom perhaps, and you might need to use it. That's a big problem. And so I appreciate door hinges and how they help us live our lives normally. I also think about uh, a wireless mouse. Mine's covered in duct tape because I'm apparently rough on my mice. But you, know, you think about a wireless mouse and how effortlessly it makes it to move the cursor around and to operate a computer. Where in the past, you'd have that mouse cord get around things and you, and you, you had a maximum radius you had to operate with. And then I think about my right armpit. Remember, Lewis, I said that my upper right side was covered in skin grafts. Skin grafts are non-porous, which means they don't sweat, which means I've saved so much money on deodorant <laughs> by only having to use it on one arm. I can make a, a, a roll, I can make a bar of deodorant last for at least three months, no problem. And so it's by looking at those seemingly insignificant parts of our lives that we realize, wow, we have a lot going on for us. And it doesn't, they don't have to be expensive things. I mean, I, I value this marker, this dry erase marker, because I get to write on my battle board. I value this, you know, these post-it notes, because when I have to write something down that Becky tells me, and I'll get in trouble if I forget, these save me from an argument. <laughs> so by looking at the everyday ordinary objects in your life and finding value in them, you find out that you have a lot more going for you than you previously did. And so that was the first part of TAG. Think about the good things in your life. Then I thought about, well, who do I appreciate in my life? And again, when we ask ourselves that question, the big groups come to mind, people who share our faith, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. But for me in the hospital, I thought about the medical staff, the doctors, the, you know, the, the, the kitchen staff who brought up my food, and especially the nurses. Because not only did they, you know, did they perform professionally and offer me world-class care, but many of them became good friends of mine to the point where when I would go visit Bill and D and I would stay overnight or a couple of days, I tried to run from, the from their house to the hospital and catch the nurses after, at their shift changes, just so I can see as many of them as possible, let them know how I'm doing and continually thank them for how they helped me become the person I am today and help and help me recover as well as I have. And in fact, I have this one story I love telling. When you are in the hospital for a long time, they sometimes put up a poster on your wall that's called the getting to know you poster, where you talk about things that you know you like, things that you appreciate, maybe you don't like. One of the questions on my poster was favorite movie. Now, Lois, you see behind me, I have Iron Man on the wall. I'm, I'm being flanked. And, you know, I'm, on my six, I have the Ninja Turtles and Deadpool. When I look to my left, I see 
transformers on my shelf. You heard me quote Money Python. So you could probably guess what my favorite movie is. That's right, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> and I picked that movie because I can watch that movie over and over again and not get sick of it. Well, one Monday morning, Chris, the head nurse, practically runs into my room and she's very excited for some reason. She said, Chris, I, I, I was at a garage sale this weekend and I saw this and I thought of you and here it is. She bought me a DVD copy of Blazing Saddles. I am just a part of her job. I am nothing more than an item on her to-do list. But she thought so much of me that not only did she recognize my favorite movie at a garage sale, but she went out and bought it and gave it to me. Makes that DVD copy of Blazing Saddles one of my prized possessions. Not because of its market worth, but because of the love and consideration and friendship in which it was given. No, no, so that's absolutely fabulous. You know, I started off by getting those chills of horror and now it's changed to goosebumps of pleasure. <laughs> Your story you know, yes. is remarkable. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it, it was so heartwarming to me, you know, that she would think of me in that way to give it to me and it, when she's not even working. And that, that was just so lovely. And, and now I have an activity, a three-step activity I would like you to practice, Lois, and also your listeners as well, to help you increase your appreciation for someone. I want you to think of someone in which you share a social circle. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, or it could be another member of an association. It could even be just a random neighbor of yours. And take them out of that social circle that you share with that person. So that's the first step. Second step now, I want you to think of all the wonderful, positive ways that that person affects the world around them. It could be how they perform their job, how they interact with people around them, their family, their friends, what kind of things they've done in the community, what, maybe what kind of things they've done for you, but try to think of them in the ways that they, they interact with the world in a positive way. Now, put them back into that social cir circle that you share and realize you have a relationship with that fantastic person. I like to use my wife, Becky, as an example. Becky, she's my wife. She's my partner. She's my best friend. Now I'm going to take her out of that social circle and I look at her on her own. She's a fantastic mother, a loving daughter and sister, a brilliant teacher, a well-read historian, a great athlete. She possesses a witty sense of humor and is almost as geeky as I am, but she plays it closer to the chest than I do. She is extremely musically inclined. She is a benefit to the community as a whole. And now I put her back into that social circle that we share. And I see that she's still all of those things but she's my wife and partner and best friend to boot. How lucky am I? And so I feel, I feel that if you do that with people in which you have a relationship, it doesn't have to be romantic. It, it obviously could be platonic 
or it could be, you know, an acquaintance. But you realize you have a connection to this person who benefits the world in such a great way. How, you know, how fortunate are you to have that person in your life? And that, you know, I found, I find it really increases my appreciation for that person. So, you know, that was the second step. So the first step is thinking of all the good things in your life. Second step is acknowledging the appreciated. And then there's the third step, give others a reason to be grateful. And as I thought about that question, how can I give someone else a reason to be grateful? Initially, I really couldn't do much in the hospital. I could respond to people on Facebook. I could donate to other people's GoFundMe accounts. But really, I couldn't do much physically. It was when I was discharged from the hospital that I started to take action. So when my neighbor's lawns would get long or snow would, a snowstorm would hit, and I'm usually one of the first people up on my block, I would get out the snowblower, snow blow everyone's uh, walkways, and sometimes their driveway if I know they have to get up early in the morning or if it's in the summer or spring and their lawns are getting long because they're on holiday, I will go mow their lawns for them. When I'm on my runs and I see garbage on the, on the road or on the sidewalk or in someone's yard without getting too trespassy, I will pick it up for them. And then there's the classic opening doors for people. And we sometimes downplay opening doors for someone. But when you open a door for someone and you see them coming, you are letting them know that you acknowledge their existence. And we never know, Lois, what people are going through day to day. Someone could be having the worst day of their life. And the mere fact that someone is opening a door for them and telling them, hey, I see you. And maybe I can't help you in every way, but let me help you in this one way. It might at least brighten their mood a little bit or help them realize that the entire world is not bad or it might turn their day around. And the beautiful thing about those acts is that it costs me nothing to do them, but to the recipient, they could be priceless. I just say, I had so many questions to ask you, but you've answered them all without me asking. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and so, you know, this is where tag comes into play because I don't know about you, Lois, but playing tag by yourself is boring and more than a little embarrassing. <laughs> but it's when you involve more people that it becomes fun and exciting and the more the merrier. And the more you help people out, the more you play tag with them, it actually helps you back because there have been numerous studies that have proven that- Oxytocin. Uh, perhaps, or uh, um, it starts with an E, but I'm, I'm sure I'll think of it as soon as we get done here. But the, um, those good feelings you get from a, like a run or a good exercise are released when you do a good act for someone. And so, you know, tag, you know, showing gratitude can help you physically, help you socially and help you psychologically. And I'm, a, I'm living proof of that because as I practice that gratitude, I felt myself becoming more positive. And because of my increased positivity and gratitude, I also became more resilient. 
Because after that, after those five days in that coma, that wasn't the end of my surgeries. I still had plenty of surgeries and plenty of procedures to deal with. But knowing that so many people had my back and were watching out for my family while I was recovering, it gave me a fire, Lois, to want to recover as quickly as I can and show everyone that their faith in me was not in vain. And so as soon as I was discharged, and this is going to answer your, uh, your original question, I started seeing, well, what can I do now? I'm well past feeding myself with my right arm. I want to see what I can do. And so I started running again. And I will admit, that first mile was quite horrible. I was in pain. I was breathing hard. My mind was thinking, let's run a mile. My body's like, you idiot. We've been out of practice for three months. Give it, give it a break. But I needed to run that first mile to prove that I could still do it. And if I could run one mile, I could run two. And if I can run two, I can run three. If I can run three, I can run farther. And because of that, to this date, Lewis, I have set four personal lifetime running records in the 5K, the 10K, the 10 mile and a half marathon, which means I was a, I'm a faster runner now than before my hospitalization because of my increased positivity, gratitude, and resilience. And as you said, I also started taking Taekwondo classes. And in a couple of weeks, I'll be testing for my first degree black belt. I also earned another teaching license and I started picking, I started uh, picking up my old hobbies like water skiing. This past summer, I had a great opportunity to uh, tandem water ski with my older son, Josh. And so I love this picture that we took of uh, him and me fist bumping as we're skiing. It's one of my favorite pictures of all time. And I've also become a professional speaker because I realized that to keep tagged to myself, like I said, would be boring and embarrassing, but moreover, it would be a disservice to those who really need to hear my message. And while I hope that no one else contracts necrotizing fasciitis, we all have, as I call them, our origin stories to go through. We all have those challenging or life-changing events that we have to face. And young adults, high schoolers, college students, those in the military, and you know everyone else in that age range, they have lots of origin stories, lots of challenging events to deal with. And by using TAG, by, by increasing their positivity, the gratitude and the resilience, they can not only break through those obstacles, but actually better themselves on the other side of them. That's brilliant. It is such an important exercise, such an important process. And not only for those young adults, us older people can benefit as well. <laughs> so it's, and the younger, the little kids can also benefit. If you could have a billboard with anything written on it, what would you have on your billboard, Chris? Well, besides having tag on there, I would also have pass on perfection and go for greatness. Chris, 
I have, I think you know, a, a project called Be Brave, which is the purpose is to eradicate bullying, sexual harassment and gender-based violence. In that context, what does the word brave mean to you? Well, we've seen it a lot in pop culture and on social media that brave is not the absence of fear, but feeling fear and acting positively in the, you know, in spite of it. And I think that exactly is my definition of brave. It's realizing what is ahead of you, what obstacles you have to face, but still understanding your purpose is greater than your fear. And then taking positive action in spite of that fear. That's fantastic. Let's all develop that attitude of gratitude. I think it is absolutely essential for good living. And so I thank you very much, Chris, for your insights, for your story, for sharing it so vulnerably. Uh, it really is quite, quite a journey you've been on, and it's fantastic that you're so willing to share and to give back and to support others. And I would like everybody who wants to go on a journey of healing to either contact Chris or you can contact me on walkingwithoutskin.com and I invite you all to fly free. May I give my uh, my email, my uh, website, please? Sure, please do. Yeah, it is at chrisdtgordon.com. There you can find more information about my speaking opportunities. I am happy to speak with groups and organizations in person and virtually. I've done it around the world. I also have a tag one sheet that you can download for free on the website uh, that I would love you to print out and put on your office wall, your school wall, at home, just to, so you can play tag on an everyday basis. I also have links to my podcast, uh, Scar Bearers, as well as the YouTube channel that accompanies it. I also have publications I've written that I have links to their, those there. And I have a merch of an online store called Chris DT Gordon's Tag and Pop Shop, where if you go in there and you use the, the promo code tag pop one, you get 20% off of all your purchases. And you get a nice sweatshirt like this and to show off your attitude of gratitude. Fantastic. I'll put the notes, I'll put the information in the show notes. So go, go well, everybody. Tag yourselves and fly free. Thank you for listening to Walking Without Skin. We would love your feedback, opinions, suggestions, and ratings. Please share this podcast far and wide to encourage more people to share their stories with vulnerability and authenticity. I